0: Hello and welcome to Disability Done Different, Candid Conversations. I'm Evie Norfall and I brought my dad to work today.
1: <laughs> <Are> you Evie.
0: <laughs> okay. I don't know if we're gonna have a bleeper on this podcast.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think we probably can. Um where was I?
0: <laughs> Brendan Lewite. This is why I don't bring him to work very often. No, you can't trust. he gets confused. <laughs> And we're also joined by our producer, Maya Thomas. Hello. Always a delight.
1: This series of seven podcasts touches on the NDIS, but it's by no means our focus. So we're going to look at things that we think are important in disability, sometimes dating back 30 years. This podcast is about Brendan White, and Brendan's been a long-term friend of mine, and that comes out during the episode. But Maya was insulting enough to, to say that he reminded her of his granddad.
0: Her granddad.
1: Sorry, Brendan. This is the thing you've got to
0: learn, Maya. You should never say anything that you don't want him to repeat in front of literally anybody.
1: Evie's boyfriend told her he loved her on the (laughs) weekend.
2: Oh, my goodness. It's true. I I prompted that. (laughs) It's true.
1: And, um, Evie, you've known Brendan for a lot of years, too. Did you hear stuff you hadn't heard
0: before? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you know, my whole experience in disability sector is since the beginning of the NDIS, so I actually, to be honest, have very little understanding of what came before, so it was a really interesting conversation for yeah, me. Just,
1: yeah, just listening back to it. I think you it.
0: enjoyed it, too, because I was fairly silent for a lot of it.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Doing uh, a bit more listening than yeah. usual. Well, let, let's just go straight to the podcast now and, and thank Maya for her perfect backhanded compliment.
0: <laughs> Hello, this is a podcast.
1: I could do the same joke again
0: disability services consulting (laughs) we're really excited do not keep that in. (laughs) let's roll
1: so our guest on our podcast today is brendan lillywhite quick disclaimer i've known brendan for at least 25 and maybe 30 years we've both been working in the disability sector
0: really longer than you've known me
1: it's true (laughs) and basically one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you brendan is we talked about this the other day, we were having coffee and said, you know, when did we get to be the old guys in the room? And we are the old guys in the room. And with your history, which extends back a few more years than mine, you're actually a living history of what's happened in disability. And so what I wanted today was to dip in and dip out and talk about your experiences of disability, what you think's changed, what you think's working, given that everybody thinks that this is the biggest change that's ever happened. There's been some changes along the way that I'm sure we'd like to talk about. So I wanted you to talk about Um, the Middle Park Centre. Is that your first involvement in disability?
2: Um, No, Roland. I actually started when I was going through uh, tertiary education, becoming a volunteer at Kew Cottages. Oh, wow. So um, that was in the early 70s. So that's how I first um, became involved with uh, people with disabilities. So this was in the old days of Kew. And um, from there I went to uh, work at a day program at Oakley.
1: So back in the Kew Cottages days, we had about 3,500 people in the 1970s in Victoria housed in about seven or eight institutions, yeah? That's
2: right. So 80% of the funding um, was spent on those 3,500 people in institutions and people living in the community, largely at home, their parents or in other group houses um, received 20% of the state funding. So it's a really disproportionate.
1: And it was a typical sort of thing that if you were a parent of a child with um, even Down syndrome, the doctor would say the right decision here is to put them into Kew Cottages, put them into
2: Klander, put them into Kalua, yeah. uh, because that's, that's what we did. That's exactly right, and or um, St Nicholas, which was for uh, um, you know, the old Royal Children's Hospital there in uh, Carleton. Um And Kaloundra actually wasn't even built then. Yeah. And that was a political decision um, yeah. leading up to a state election. It was the last institution. And it's interesting. I mean, I I'm nearly sort of I've worked in the field now for nearly fifty years. I was reflecting on it as I was driving over, and um, we back then parents were really concerned about what happens when I get older yeah, and yeah. I can't look after my child. I had exactly that discussion again with a family yesterday. Yeah, and I was sort of just thinking, well, fifty years on, my generation, we haven't solved that problem.
1: It's a zeitgeist. Um, we we talk about it a lot. The it's a universal problem for parents of kids with disability. What will, what will happen to my children when I die? We quote um, Sally a lot. So Sally's one of our consultants. She's got a young daughter. She's got three daughters. One of them has mm-hmm. um, quite significant disabilities. But Sally says, you know, don't talk to me about helping my child with their aspirations. Don't talk to me about having my child with their dreams until you turn up on time at five o'clock on a Friday. And that's not like just... It's inconvenient for me at five o'clock on a Friday. If you don't turn up at five o'clock on a Friday, what are you going to do when I'm not around? What's going to happen to my child? Who's going to care for them? So it shakes me to my core when you demonstrate as an organisation that you're not reliable,
2: that you don't understand me as a parent. So I I just, yeah. You're right, Roland. It's such a fundamental driver for any parent. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, you, you have children... You hope they they grow up and that they're independent and and have a great life. You have a child with a disability who can't actually achieve some of those absolute goals based on their individual circumstances and you've got this issue with you for the whole of your life about what happens when I die and is it fair on on their siblings to pick up or not. And it's a, a Western dilemma. Sense, I wanted to talk yeah. about a, a bunch of projects like this mm-hmm.
1: that you and I have worked on over the years, but and I'll try to keep them nameless because so, um, some of it's going to be fairly critical. But you and I worked on a project not that long ago, but a little while ago, which was completely designed to support older parents of older kids with disabilities. So we're talking about... Um, Parents of children with disabilities, they're no longer children. They're in their fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The parents are in the seventies and eighties. We got a gazillion dollars off a government to set up a house, to set up specialized staff, to set up specialized case management to help these people become unrusted on each other because they'd spent so much time, the older person, 60 years with the old, with the mother or the mother and the father, usually just a mother, um, to 80 or 90 years old. We set that program up. We had a university evaluated. Um, I laughed because uh, we didn't get on with the evaluators, but that's a separate story. But it was... A complete disaster. The program never worked. It never really achieved very many of its goals. And sorry for those of you that were involved in the program, but...
0: Is that why you didn't get along with the evaluators? <laughs> no, the evaluators. <laughs> <are>
1: separate, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's there's no issues there's between, between yeah. me anyway, and one of them. You can't bit, imagine that. Uh, no, oh, no, no, that's no, no, surprising.
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, so, look, and I don't, you know, I don't think that's necessarily bad. I mean, I think there's... Projects that will, will live and survive for a variety of reasons and others won't.
1: But why couldn't we but unrust them? Why we,
2: couldn't we get some
1: successes yeah. in making those adult individuals more independent of their
2: very old parents. Well, where, where I was going with, with that thought was, was thinking about actually the Middle Park Social Club, which is just down the road here. In fact, I drove down Ashworth Street, um, on the way here. some 40 years ago. 40, 40 years ago, um, I was there and there was uh, a woman that started that a social worker called Jill Pierce who been, ended up, um, actually with Kara's Vic. Yeah. But Jill was really innovative and, this is um, she, she had the vision and the passion to, um, think about how could she connect with mild, what were they labelled mildly intellectually disabled adults who didn't want to be part of any formal construct of, of what was seen as social work at the time. So she set up the Middle Park Social Club, which ran a disco on a Thursday night and um, and had food and people would come along to that disco. And from there, they ran camps. And so started off with a very sort of strong social and recreational issue. And I'm talking late seventies here, early eighties. And from there, built relationships and built trust with those individuals and then started to work in areas such as budgeting and hygiene and getting secure accommodation, building social networks. And from that sort of nucleus, actually the, um, the reinforce was formed mm-hmm. and people that formed Friendships and relationships back in the 80s are still working at reinforce today. So reinforce is a self-advocacy
1: connected. group for people with inter- mm. intellectual disability. But is this ringing some bells for you, Evie? About- yeah,
0: yeah. I was just thinking in when you're talking about the story of um, uh, unrusting, as you say, yeah. I was thinking, reflecting on how this links to the experience that we had recently when we had a fairly large national provider uh, come to us and ask about, well, they had this big idea and they were going to build a residential facility or a retirement village. I'm not sure what the right term is. And the idea was that it would be a place that older people could live alongside their adult children with disability. So it would be part group home, part retirement village. And you had a very strong response to that.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's they, they, to they had, another
0: failed project. Well, they were
1: actually working with the local government, um, mm-hmm. a significant local government, quite a progressive one that we believed was quite progressive. They had planning permission to build 15 units side by side for people with a an intellectual disability to live with their older parents in this retirement village. And uh, for a very small sum of money, I wrote the most um, damning critique based on New South Wales policy and Victorian policy that said, we stopped doing this 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what, just what? What are you thinking? Did <laughs> um, not. Is, and I, I also just painted a little picture at the in the last paragraph was they'll do this and they'll have Rhonda Galbally locked, you know, in chains outside the um, outside the opening day of, of the, the the new mini institution. Yeah, but
0: the other part of it was. You wouldn't even get that far because the people just wouldn't move in. You'd build it and they would not come.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was, I wanted to get onto that one too, Brent. I'm yeah. cutting you off, but then I'll, I'll let you do it. Go. <laughs> yeah. um, so, um, and again, you maybe think back to Oakley. The centre's still there in wrote, right? um, When I was started working there, it was called the Metally Retarded Children's Welfare mm-hmm. Association. Shocking language. Um, they got money out of the feds to build a nursing home, a 30-bed nursing home, for, to try and solve this problem that they saw, of you know, as, as I get older, how do I provide a safe environment for, for my you know, adult child? Um, but what would happen, they also had a hostel on the site too. But what would happen, so I worked in a therapy centre, it was called an activity therapy centre. They had the sheltered workshop. If I wasn't a good worker in the sheltered workshop for the day and I went back to the hostel, I wasn't allowed out on the weekend. I was punished, so oh. it was this total control sort of thing, and it became you know a term we've used over the years the cradle to the grave type mentality, and and you didn't get that independence. Yeah. Well, that's in one of the life, things that's being you know.
1: reinvented right at the moment, Brendan. In the NDIS, there's a number of providers that are coming in; they want to do a whole of life service. Cradle to grave, yeah. cradle to grave was you know virtually banned the by wars. state governments ten years ago. Yeah. So again, we're starting to reinvent some of the stuff that we moved away from. But let's let's spend a moment being positive. Arts Project Australia, we're, I've always been a big fan of Arts Project Australia. You know, I tried to get a program um, Mickey Mouse replicable with them. And we wanted them to set up another one a, a decade or two ago. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you were you were the, you were the CEO for quite a while there, and um, Evie's now enamoured with them as well. Do you want to just explain what we're doing with Arts Project at the moment? maybe
0: because oh, we recently so. partnered with arts project to license a lot of the works in their, uh catalogue in their image gallery. Yeah. And so we've uh, been wrestling for a long time with the idea of how do we better use images on our website. We are the first to criticise other organisations when we don't like the photos they use, particularly when they're of people with disability. And so we, as part of that ongoing conversation about how we can do it better, have partnered with Arts Project to have a lot more images that are authored um, by people with disability and having a different representation of disability in the... Um, material that we produce
1: so one of the most interesting things in this for me is the difference between an artist with a disability and a person with a disability going to a day program and doing art and it's one of the challenges that arts project australia had to come through and they did really well to explain to the ndis they are not a day program so did you did you monster that did you understand? did we were you able to explain easily
2: what an artist with a disability is yeah the the When you go there and you see those artists at work and you see the work they produce, and it's fantastic, I've I've, I've been noticing on your website, the fact that you're using those images and and pick them straight away. Um, A quick aside, um, Therese Rain was over in in, uh, San Francisco and went to a gallery over there and, and was blown away by the art and said, wow, that's amazing. And they said, well, you've got one in Australia. Oh, really? Yeah, down in, in and she became the patron of the organisation yeah, on the yeah. back of that. So, oh, yeah. yeah, so that that was you know um, very powerful work. And uh, um, Stuart Purvis, who runs Australian Gallery, he was also on uh, the board, and he amassed a, a fantastic collection. Um, and we go to the what well, we the Australian APA oh, yeah. goes to the uh, art fair, and and you know he's, he's there exhibiting and selling along with everyone else. So it's um, they they are in their own right. And when you see the, mm. the artists at work in the studio... You have now, haven't you? Yeah, some um, yeah. it's It's a beautiful it's pretty powerful. studio too. Yeah, 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 it's a yeah, wonderful place to be. Yeah. It's no yeah, day yeah. program.
1: Yeah. yeah. I've, so, yeah mm. I've got two questions which I want to finish with, which is why haven't we been able to reinvent day
2: programs?
0: Just just quietly, just quickly before we finish. Mm. <laughs> Can you solve yeah, you one know,
2: middle, of the biggest problems? Middle Park, you know, 40 years well, later. Well, this is... NDIS... Is, Unintended consequences. I think it's knocking out innovation. Yep, we, we, you know, it's oh, absolutely knocking out innovation. There isn't the capacity. I'll see nothing is is yeah. there to to create that opportunity. You know, we you know, in, in a good way we were feral in terms of uh, Middle Path Social Club because we weren't fettered by bureaucracy yeah, and by yeah. policy and program rules and guidelines at the time, and um, and it enabled that. To happen and you'll get those you know lovely you know glimpses of of that happening when i was at, at uh, you know started working in, in the disability field we had um, a small market garden at the back of what is Chesson's uh, we had sheep, we were growing vegetables, we saw the sheep, we woke, spun, spun it and did weaving with it. We ran a gardening service, we were out mowing the money we earned, we bought, you know, the, the, the crew did the banking, they bought their um, equipment, they bought their own coats, their lawn mowers. It was a total small business enterprise. That's mid seventies, mm-hmm. and we're we're really yeah. not seeing the innovation. Luke's written a wonderful article that's now three
1: years old about the pricing. Still as true as and, ever. Yeah, the reasons that we're not seeing the innovation. Mm-hmm. So the final question I wanted to mm-hmm. answer is uh, talk to you about it anyway is something that really annoys me. <laughs> I love the young people in nursing homes movement, absolutely doing you know the right stuff, but part of the rhetoric of young people in nursing homes movement is. Young people with disabilities should not be sitting in institutions with large numbers of older people that are poorly cared for or, you know, have no daytime routine, have no real activities. Their lives have become moribund in these big, large institutions. And what bugs me is why do older people belong in um, nursing homes? If that critique is actually accurate.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. So, Roland, you and I have mentioned this a number of times. We de people living with... Uh, a disability, and never institutionalising older people. Yep. You know, my mother's ninety-four. She lives in a nursing home. It's a great nursing home, but it's still a nursing home. And um, I mean, in a in a positive way, she's actually far more socially active than she was when she was living on her own. Yeah, yeah. So, um, she's in a beauty though, and she's in a, a, a good one. It, it is a, well. And again, you know, younger people in nursing homes. It's that, that whole issue about appropriate housing, yeah, yeah. And accommodation. Yep. And thinking about people with acquired brain injury. And, Mm. So it kept you
1: remarkably quiet, Evie, which is a, an achievement in itself. And, uh, <laughs> it's been fantastic. Thank you, Brendan. No, it's been a pleasure. Really
0: enjoyed really Good on you guys. You've been listening to Disability Done Different, Candid Conversations. If you want to learn a bit more about DSC, you can go to our website, disabilityservicesconsulting.com.au, or subscribe to our newsletter, which is where we will also let you know when the next podcast is available.
1: And we should say the website's had a million views because it's so popular and the resources there are free and good. Yep. And our training.
0: is not free, but very good. Yep. (laughs) Thank you to our podcast producer, Maya Thomas.
1: And to our on-air stars...
0: Baby and Roland! <laughs> Yay! <laughs>